I'm Brandon Katz. And I'm Jean Bentley. And this is Must Watch Netflix Edition, a conversation between two pop culture junkies to help you navigate the massive library of Netflix. Today, we're joined by Vanity Fair's excellent Hollywood writer, Joanna Robinson, to discuss Shonda Rhimes' very first Netflix series, Bridgerton. Joanna, thank you so much for joining us. This is a, a special occasion for all involved. Thank you for having me. It was so you 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 asked me to join you. You gave me the wide world of Netflix to choose from, and this was like a little little while ago when you asked, and I had just like mainlined all of Bridgerton. And I was like, it has to be Bridgerton. It has to be what we talk about. So I'm so glad to be here. I think mainlining is the perfect word f- to describe how one might consume Bridgerton because it is this very sexy and salacious show, Gene. Do you want to give the listeners a little bit of a preview precap? Okay, so so here's the brief kind of lowdown on Bridgerton. It is based on a series of romance novels. It is about this family in Regency-era London, the Bridgertons, and the kind of adventures or courtships or what have you of all of the siblings in this rather large family. The first season of Bridgerton is based on the first novel, which kind of centers on the oldest daughter of the family, Daphne, as she has this uh, flirtation with uh, a duke. And it has that Shonda Rhimes flair that you're looking for, meaning it is steamy and juicy and action-packed and uh i too mainlined the show have i watched it all the way through twice absolutely (laughs) i'd love to just go around and hear everyone's kind of immediate reaction review after watching because personally i was shocked how much I liked this show. And after, yes, mainlining, again, all eight episodes, I basically have come down to the fact that it is Downton Abbey's downtown cousin or the crown on spring break. That is my <laughs> opinion. And and I just loved how it mixed these modern sensibilities and kind of progressive ideals with this posh, pompous, and well-curated and put-together high society of 1813 London. So I thought that mixture worked really well. What were you guys' kind of immediate reactions? Uh, Yeah, I mean, my first instinct was, uh, or my first reaction was, uh, Shonda Rhimes, you genius, you've done it again. Um, (laughs) I was just really impressed with, um, this just seems like an untapped goldmine um that that you know romance novels which are really popular of course largely with a female audience but you know just a really popular um kind of storytelling i read a bunch of these growing up because uh, actually my high school english teacher wrote regency romance novels and so i used to read them all uh that she wrote but like this is a this is a really popular genre there's there's like a huge potential. This this could basically be like the MCU for <laughs> Shonda Rhimes because the Bridgerton novels are like this huge interconnected universe. You've got eight siblings to spin off of. Like, there's just so much potential here. And for Shonda to be like, listen, we're not. Here's what we're not going to do: be embarrassed about romance novels. Here's what we're going to do: we're just going to enjoy ourselves because we deserve this. And this is like this is worth our attention. It's worth giving a glossy Netflix treatment to. Um, let's let's just all enjoy ourselves this Christmas. So Shonda, brilliant, brilliant. Uh, I bow down to you. Yeah, absolutely. Truly bow down at 
at, you know, at the greatness. I think that what you said about just having fun is really, I had not had that much experience reading romance novels, but I, this year, (laughs) in these uh, difficult times, as we are all experiencing, I started reading some and I kind of get what the what the allure is they're like fun they're easy to read they're a lot of them follow the same tropes and it's just kind of turn your brain off but not completely enjoyment um obviously there are nuances within the genre it is a wide it's more of a label than a genre right there's right, so many right. subgenres yes but it has been fun to kind of get into reading them and then watch the show, which is really like, oh my gosh, this is actually bringing to life this whole world that has really been relegated to like, I remember in high school, my friend's mom used to keep her romance novel collection, like deep in the bookshelf (laughs) behind other books. And so this is like bringing it to the front. And it's, it's essentially Shonda Rhimes, if she actually didn't have to worry about broadcast TV standards and practices cutting off the sex scenes right when they start getting good and, you know, not quite worrying about that. And I too loved the show. And honestly, Regency era stuff is not something that I am typically drawn to. Um, I mean, I enjoy it. I'll watch it, but it's, I'm not a person who's like automatically drawn to that. And so I was almost surprised at how much I liked it, but I also was not surprised in the slightest because I knew that I would love it. Like, (laughs) of course I would. Um, So yeah, I, I, yeah, I'm in. I was in (laughs) immediately. I like what you said, because I was never the biggest Shonda Land fan on ABC, but unfettered and unencumbered by the FCC. Oh, this is just a whirlwind of titillating excitement. And I will say, though, that it's got a little bit of Game of Thrones light going on in the sense that right away from the first episode, there are a lot of characters to keep track of, a lot of fancy houses you need to be familiar with. For anyone thinking about going into it, and I think our conversation is going to support that, Gene, can you help kind of make sense of this interwoven, sprawling web of characters? Sure. And first of all, I watched the first episode twice before I kind of watched the series as a whole. And I was surprised at how much that helps me. Like I watched the first episode and then I watched the second episode and I was like, all right, whatever. This There's a lot of stuff going on. I have to figure it out. But when I went, uh, I sat down like a couple weeks later to really fully watch the show. And I rewatched the first episode because I was like, I don't remember who any of these people are. <laughs> um, I couldn't keep them straight. And so watching it again was really helpful. So I do recommend if you are completely new to this world, watch the first episode twice, which I think is a very annoying suggestion, but also a very helpful one. And I think that you will enjoy the subsequent episodes more because there are so many characters to keep track of. And so I started like trying to remember their names and it was kind of hard, but also uh, maybe Joanna, you can help me out with this. So basically we have the Bridgertons who are this family and they're all named in alphabetical order. So if you don't remember the age or like where the person falls, 
that can help you if you remember their name. But if you don't remember their name, here's here's who they are. My so jaw the- just dropped when you said their name in alphabetical order. I, I did not realize that. That's my yeah, friend I didn't told pick me that, that and I was like, oh my god, mind blown. Wow. So, this is so, why we are expert TV watchers, or more specifically why Gene is, not I, no, I was, I was honestly calling them like handsome brother number two and yes. three for a while, so this is exciting so for here's, me. So here's, here's who they are. So the oldest brother who... The oldest two brothers I found incredibly difficult to tell apart. They look almost identical. Same hair. The oldest one has sideburns and is kind of a dick. His name is Anthony. Side note, sideburns get a great showing in this show. Like, sideburn (laughs) game is real strong in Bridgerton. Exactly. And then the second oldest one, who's like the art one. He goes to like these arty orgies. Yes. Whatever. Love an arty orgy. Um, Uh Uh-huh. As his one name, does. Yeah, as one does. His name is Benedict. Okay, and then there's like the kind of golden retriever puppy one yeah. named Colin, who I didn't realize is older than the main character, Daphne, but technically he is. And um, so he's the one who the girl from Dairy Girls has a crush on. Right. If, you, if you've watched a little bit, that's who he is. Then we have Daphne, who's kind of our heroine in this series. She's the oldest daughter of the family, and she's making her debut, and co- like suitors are courting her, and she ends up having this flirtation uh, that turns and has several different iterations with this hot-as-hell Duke, <laughs> who is played by uh, a guy who was in Shonda's like legal show um, for a minute, but the super hot Duke and Daphne are together. And then the only other one whose like name is of significance is Eloise, who is the second oldest sister. She's the next uh, oldest sibling. And she's the one who's like, you could tell that she would really have been an emo girl. Uh, But instead she's just like, well, alternative and, and artier and um, is obsessed with discovering the identity of Lady Whistledown, who is uh, the voice is narrated by Julie Andrews. And basically the, the de- framing device for the episodes is like Lady Whistledown is essentially this Regency era gossip columnist. So we're following all the juicy gossip of the era. And so then you have the Featheringtons who are like the next door neighbors and the like Julie Cooper looking mom and then her three daughters, Philippa, Prudence and Penelope. Penelope's the dairy girl. And then you have Mariana, who is their house guest uh, slash, you know, daughter of a business associate. And then you have, you know, the royals and and the um, and, and everyone else. I've, I don't know. Am I missing people? But those are their names. I don't know. So that should help. Anyone who's thinking about jumping in and you can re-listen to this podcast while you're watching because it will really help. Now, because we're focused on these kind of first four episodes, one thing that I was really caught by right away in the pilot is how colorful and diverse Bridgerton is, especially compared to the majority of stodgy, you know, gray and, and dark colors and whitewash period pieces that are also in this genre. I was really struck by that the lavish and beautiful sets, the costumes, the production design. It's kind of this like rainbow coalition of entertainment. Joanna, was there anything else that stuck out to you in the pilot or in these first episodes that immediately set you up for being like, oh, I'm going to like this show? 
Sorry, I'm still reeling from the alphabetical order thing because it's just just like a real game changer. Shocking revelation. Every, I mean, like they did that. I don't know if you guys are a fan of the musical Seven Brides of Seven Brothers, but they did that in the musical Seven Brides of Seven Brothers. The brothers are named alphabetical order. And now I'm like, why doesn't every large family do this so that we can know? Um, the first episode, yeah, I mean, like oh, right away, you know, this is not this is not an all white cast. They, you know, the. This is a, an adaptive change from the books, uh, you know, to to make sure that the cast is a little bit more reflective of the, of uh, actually the actual world we live in. Um, but it's not something that's called out, so it's sort of it's color blind casting more than like, uh, you know, they're not really engaging with race on a meaningful level uh, in the show, at least not in the front half at all. Um, and uh, you know, and 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 that's a fine and uh, and and fun way to approach things. The one thing I will say, like I don't want, like I I I wholeheartedly recommend watching the show. I love watching the show. Um, I did walk away thinking that the lead, Daphne, that character and that actress was like a little bit of a drip. And I wanted like, I wanted the show about Eloise instead, her sister, or like a number of, there's another of other characters that I would have preferred be at the center of the story. So like, if you watch the first episode and you're like her, I'm like, I kind of get it. But the world is vibrant enough around her that, uh, you know, and she's not like offensively bad or anything like that. She's just kind of drippy. And like, uh, I think, I think the world around her is is interesting enough. Uh, Polly Walker is the Julie Cooper lookalike uh, actress uh, that that you mentioned, and I love her. She, like uh, you know, from like Rome, she's been in a million things, and I love her so much. And she's fantastic as this sort of like um, very forceful meddling type of of character uh, that you love to see in these kind of of stories. So yeah, I mean, I I um, I was sucked in right away. I. I, I don't know if you guys did the same thing. I didn't read enough about or anything really in advance. And so I was like, oh, wait a minute. Did they get Dame Julie Andrews to voice their gossip girl in this show? And so that, that le- like, she has so much fun, as fun, as much fun as Kristen Bell seemed to have voicing um, Dan Humphreys in Gossip Girl. Um, like, she had so much fun uh, with this narration. And it's so her voice is so musical. And she adopts this, like, very sly, winking tone. And it just sets, <laughs> it sets the mood perfectly for, like, the, uh, the joyride you're going to go on. So I found myself looking forward to the voiceover narration as much as the characters were looking forward to the next column coming yes, out. Yes, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Well, what about I, you? I agree with you in regards to the girl who plays Daphne. Like, she was, I recognized her. She was on Younger a couple seasons ago. She played the Irish uh, fiancé right. uh, of Nico Tortorella. Yeah. And... She was much more engaging on on that show, I will say. <laughs> but I, I do think one benefit of her being a little bit bland, her egg, you know, etc., mm-hmm. is that she is definitely like an every woman kind of you can just pro- project whatever you want on her, which is probably helpful in terms of getting into this world. Um and I also cannot express enough how attractive the duke is oh. like i just i just words failed me it's a lot this is, this is a good looking man Bra- brandon do you have the words to describe how attractive the duke is in his like <laughs> claret velvet coat etc i i i don't know necessarily because i think every character has this kind of 
beautiful sheen of immaculately adorned costumes and well-coiffed sideburns, as I mentioned, and perfect hair and like, you know, all this, oh, how how do you do kind of mentality, which I love. So everyone in their own way has this kind of attractive spark to them. Uh, But I will say, I, I really like how because Bridgerton clearly delights in this old-fashioned Regency era, but it's also still skewering a lot of the values of that time period. You know, it, it definitely lampoons conformity and pack mentality. It definitely it attacks antiquated gender roles, and I think a way that's clever without getting too serious and and moving away from the foundation, which is this quick-witted sex appeal. So I actually thought... Bridgerton did a great job of exciting while still having enough on its mind to like satiate someone who's looking for a little bit more meaty thematic material. Yeah, I think I think that's right. It's 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 entertaining, but it also has something to say. So, you know, which I think Shonda has always excelled at, honestly. Like, I don't think you could ever accuse Grey's of not having something to say, um, you know, even at its, Even if like, it's the 17th season. Yeah, I mean, it still has something to say. So, yeah. And, and like, I'm so delighted. I mean, we'll we'll have to wait and see how this lands with a larger audience. Um, everyone I know who's watched it so far has had, like, a really good time with it. Um, but I'm hopeful that it's a smash hit for Shonda because, like... Uh, you know, Shonda signed this this bonkers overall deal with Netflix, right, to develop content for them, and uh, as did Ryan Murphy, and uh, that has not turned out very well for the Ryan Murphy Netflix uh, uh, collaborations thus far. Um, I think in in a broader audience appeal sense, um, but I'm hopefully Brid- uh, hopefully Bridgerton, uh, you know, just proves that Shonda can do Shonda anywhere, you know. So. Yeah, I also like. The idea of um, seeing how Shonda Rhimes kind of legitimizes this genre that is maybe kind of made fun of or not necessarily respected in the same way that other things are and not to get like too soapboxy, but I think that people have taken dumb ass sci-fi concepts very seriously for a very long time without criticizing their validity and romance in general is a genre that is more enjoyed by women and why can't the same types of stories just in this genre that is more consumed by women be treated with the same respects and um thought and analysis and enjoyment and you know step back down no 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 Uh, stay on your soapbox i'll join you if there's room there's like there's absolutely like a gendered aspect to it there's like um you know this is the, the same way that people critique uh you know young women for liking taylor swift or for liking harry styles or whatever it is like anything that young girls like has to automatically be dismissed uh by more serious uh culture quote unquote um it, it was funny that you said earlier gene that um your friend's mom kept her romance novels deep in the bookshelf my grandma used to read her romance novels with like a like a slip cover on it that she would like move from book to book to book so no one could tell in public what she was reading um yeah, so this is like a thing that women have felt like they had to be ashamed of. And like how healing is it for Shauna to be like, don't be ashamed of a romance novel. This is a legit thing to love. And I'm going to spend a ton of money making it look great and yeah, legitimizing it for you. Enjoy it. Um, and I'm hopeful that it hits well. You know, 
Downton Abbey is a show that I never expected to have been the like sort of wider breakout hit that it was. Like I have been my whole life a big period piece fan. Um so like stuff like Downton or um you know Gosford Park before it or whatever like that's always been my jam but the fact that like everyone was watching Downton like came as a surprise to me and and Brandon you invoking Downton at the beginning of this of this podcast maybe like oh maybe Bridgerton can just be like everyone in the pool it's been a hard <laughs> year it's christmas let's watch think- Bridgerton <laughs> I I couldn't agree more and I think you guys are hitting on a really important point it's hard to talk about something like this without considering the commercial aspect. Netflix spent upwards of $500 million signing Shonda Rhimes, Ryan Murphy, Kenya Barris to these mega overall deals to this point haven't exactly returned what probably Netflix was hoping. And I think without a doubt, Bridgerton is the best show to come from that spending spree on on creative talent, even though there are some definitely worthwhile uh, additions from the other creators. It's so great because you you guys are, are mentioning not only should this genre be taken a little bit more seriously, especially when we have an avalanche of ridiculous sci-fi concepts that I love, but that are treated like scripture. Uh, to me... Bridgerton is the guilty pleasure holiday season that by the end of the eight episodes comes out actually surprisingly innocent, which I think is an unbelievable legitimization of the genre like you guys talked about. And I, and I and I will just say it's 2020. Don't you don't even need to say guilty pleasure. Just it's a true. pleasure. Like I'm I'm all for like removing guilty. I, I used to use that phrase all the time and not not like you can't. But I'm just sort of like guilty implies something we should be like embarrassed about. I'm like just enjoy the things you enjoy. Everything is so fucking hard. Sorry. I don't know if you swear on this podcast. Everything, no, go ahead. Everything but no, that's, is so that's hard. I mean. Just enjoy, you know? Um and yeah. and, and let's destigmatize. Yeah. But, but I think that's what this show is doing. It's tra- yeah. it's kind of destigmatizing this genre that has definitely been you know, pushed aside for a long time. Though, Brandon, you used the word innocent, and I would like to warn the people out there that there is some raunchy-ass sex in this. There is a lot of nudity. Uh, It really heats up episode five and beyond. So if you are going to watch this with your family, like... (laughs) One through four, you could probably do. But beyond that, like, maybe you don't want to be sitting next to your father on the couch. Like, I, that Not is my recommendation. for family communal viewing. No, what I more so meant is that every piece of salacious gossip and let's just call it what it is, super horny, sexually charged energy <laughs> is so well earned because it, it's, first of all, reflecting normal human desires. Second of all, it's lampooning an, an outmoded, antiquated uh, sense of gender roles and, and social hierarchy. And third, it's just a damn good time. And I know we, we keep saying that, but it, it's worth repeating. I will say, however, that I think some of the drama, this is a little bit more in the back half, but certainly present in the in the first half. Some of the drama is a little bit manufactured in the sense that totally. only in a rom-com type of setting could two characters with such palpable chemistry and such obvious fit be kept apart from happiness because the plot demands it. Right. And that's, I mean, that's, 
that's the thing of of a romance novel is you have to like draw out the tension and the suspense and the and the expectation and all that and uh regency romance is is a great uh you know setting for that because the social mores or whatever uh dictate that you that you wait until marriage right so you can only sort of exchange longing glances or brush gloves or whatever it is until uh you know oh, brush until, gloves how scandalous <laughs> until the moment arrives uh i re- i remember reading a novel a romance novel where they, she talked about like uh, she accidentally brushed his unmentionables, and I was like, "Oh my goodness!" Um, but yeah, no, like the 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 hallmarks of the Regency romance are all here, like the Ton, which is the you know the name for the um, high society, Voxel, which is like a setting where you go to see and be seen during the season, stuff like that. Like all these terms came flooding back to me from my teen years of reading Regency <laughs> romances, and I was like, "It's all the gang's all here." But yeah, that that like that. Um, that yearning right that's the that's the juice of uh of a romance novel and uh there is definitely some stuff in bridgerton um that is that that uh defies belief because you're like it, uh, come on guys it's let's let's just get together it's fine it's fine joanna can we do a rewatch where you just translate all of these old-timey english terms for me because that would be super helpful absolutely if you ever encounter the word quizzing in a Regency romance novel, that means teasing. Like he quizzed me mercilessly. That means teased me. So just so you know, I uh, yeah, we should do a Bridgerton glossary um, for for new new viewers. Um, but yeah, I, I yeah yeah. I mean, I, listen, Bridgerton's really fun. Uh, does everything make sense? No, <laughs> no, 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 no. no. Um, but uh, you know, you still won't regret going on the whole ride i think so yeah well and then also kind of one one fun part of it is the shondification of it so it's like it's regency era vaguely in terms of costume and and um sets and everything and then but it also has this kind of like they didn't necessarily stick to the each historical detail it's not quite the level of like rain when they're fully just wearing like anthropology dresses right. and it's not like a Sofia Coppola ooh converse and you know right, whatever right, right. but it but it isn't they're not trying so hard to be like historically accurate that that is what happens and there's also fun stuff like they play orchestral versions of pop songs and you kind of don't expect it. But in the first episode, they go to like the first dance or whatever. And then you hear uh, an orchestra play a song and you're like, Oh, that sounds familiar. And then it's, and it's thank you next by Ariana Grande. So it's like, Oh yeah. Okay. So that's kind of the level of, of Regency that we're at. It's not super intense, but it's not like completely anachronistic. Right. Now, before we kind of tie a bow on the first half of Bridgerton, I just want to quickly talk about Lady Whistledown, who is our resident TMZ gossip columnist for the era-specific era time we're, we're in. I, I really like this because we live right now in an age of third-party influence, whether that be social media and, and conditioning ourselves to compare uh, our lives to the curated lives of others, or whether it be you know, foreign entities influencing uh, American politics to the point where national borders have completely disappeared. But I think Shonda Rhimes and, and everyone involved really smartly capture the idea here that 
perception has always been reality throughout history. And so I think her voiceovers and her gossip column as a framing device totally worked for me, like 100%. It was one of my favorite clever little twists of the show. Yeah, absolutely. I, I completely agree. And it, and it also helps us, it helps viewers who maybe haven't read a lot of Regency romance and aren't familiar with the period, uh, it helps uh, them be able to understand what would be a scandal and what, what would be transgressive behavior and what wouldn't. You know what I mean? She can provide that commentary that helps us understand what the rules are and who's breaking them. Yeah, exactly. That, that's me, because I had never... This is kind of my first foray Welcome. into this genre, and I'm a, I think I'm a successful convert. Like I think I need to move these books to the front of the shelf and start getting on this, building my own collection. Take the slipcovers off, read them uh, in public when we're allowed to go in public again. It'll be great. What is public? Yeah. I, I don't even remember what that, what that means. Unfamiliar. Outside? What's that? No. Yeah, I mean, at this point, you're like, oh, I can really relate to, like brushing against someone's arm as like <laughs> an incredibly like scandalous mm -hmm. erotic experience you're like oh my god it's like i'm gonna go home and write in my journal like and my shopping cart rammed into another's at the grocery store it was the most scintillating moment of the last eight months that sounds like uh, you know a, a wild ride for you <laughs> All right. Well, before we go, Joanna, we want to put you front and center stage. Please let the listeners know where they can find you, what you got coming up, plug anything you want. The, the stage is yours, my friend. Uh, for more Regency romance terms. No, I I, I don't talk about that necessarily. Uh, I'm, I'm on Twitter at Joe Wrote This. Uh, I write for Vanity Fair. So you can find me on VF.com. I do a couple podcasts for them, Little Gold Men and Still Watching. Um, and then I have a podcast where we're watching all of Lost. So that's called The Storm Podcast. So that's one of my favorites, if I can interject oh, quickly. <laughs> so that's, uh, that's where you can find me, uh, you know, making more comments about seriously, the Dukes, Velvet. Everything. It's just, it's a lot. It's a lot going on. So, yeah. It, it's like he's like sculpted mm. from ah. marble. All right. It's Aside. upsetting. Not to subject you to just like objectifying this man, but he is. It's a lot. A, a, yeah. <laughs> Aside from the unabashed, unfiltered love for the Duke, do we have any parting first half Bridgerton thoughts for the listeners that you think they need to know? Or just that you'd like to tell them? That if you want a spinoff for Eloise, it's probably, like, I was talking to uh, Terry Schwartz at RGN, who's, like, a huge uh, fan of the books and stuff like that. And I was like, I just wanted an Eloise show. And she's like, do you want that season eight? And I was like, oh, okay. So, uh, you know, if, if there's another character you want to follow and if Bridgerton does well, odds are you're going to get be able to follow them. So here we go. Yeah. And, the, and as we know, kind of. Well, not no for sure, but Netflix seems to make a lot of their programming decisions based on how many people watch it within the first month. But I also feel with the addictive nature of this show, like that hopefully that won't be a problem. Uh, because I feel like once you get into it, you are in. <laughs> and that is it from us. New episodes of Must Watch Netflix Edition post every Thursday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Joanna, thanks so much for coming on. And to all our listeners, until next week. Nice. That's how we do Thanks, it. Guys.